You're tuned in to NPR station, WNJT, New Jersey, Trenton. And next up is the Stream of Random podcast with your host, Hacker Mike. How's it going, kids? I bet you're all dying to hear from me. You're dying to hear from me. I got a lot of updates to share. You got lots of updates here, kids. Lots been happening. I know I haven't been podcasting. Yesterday I started to record and uh, I ran into my brother from another mother. My brother from another mother. And uh, I took him mushroom hunting and for a walk. So I didn't record anything. And we found, we found a mushroom. I forget the name of it, but it's basically this big, white, clumpy, leafy mushroom that grows at the base of oak trees, and it was a big one, and uh, I cooked it up, and I ate some of it. It was pretty easy to identify, let me tell you. I'll get you the name. I'll put it in the link when I edit this show. So, so we went mushroom hunting. I found a mushroom. I identified it. We ate it. I instapotted it for 40 minutes with garlic and salt and parts of it were super tough but the young fresh parts were yummy and soft it basically turns into something like wood when it gets older so i've collected elderberries some bukas and i've collected mushrooms now and this morning i collected i harvested a whole bunch of bamboo from the train tracks and i made privacy i made a portable privacy fence out of a pallet I stood the pallet upright and I made legs going across the bottom using the wooden posts. I drilled holes and I uh, hammered some big rebars into them. So now I have a recipe and I have the materials. The only thing I need to buy are rebars. And I have materials for creating portable privacy fences now, which look pretty damn good. And the bamboo will decompose after a year or so, but we only need it during the summer, and next year I can just refresh the bamboo, just replace it, or even not, even if it's dried up, it's still gonna give us a visual privacy, and it looks amazing. So, we're planning some different plans for that. We're gonna make some visual privacy fences. So we've bucked the system now again. Pallets are cheap, they're still cheap. We got the wood posts, fence posts, and we're going to do an experiment with a metal fence and try and weave the uh, bamboo in between in there as well. So, we've got some good stuff going on there. And I think this will also keep the deer out. I don't think they're going to come crashing through the high... Ba- I can make eight-foot-tall bamboo privacy screens. I don't think the deer are going to come crashing through that so easily. They might just not do it. It might deter them, mess up their plan to come eat my bok choy. So I've been listening to Paul Stamets, and he's talking about mushrooms fighting aviation flu H1N1, and also the bees, saving the bees, and how the bees harvest stuff from, from the mycelium of a certain fungus. We had a lot of good conversations. I had people over for my birthday. So I tried, so I have an update on the whole kombucha thing that I think I can host the kombucha in someone else's restaurant and have it grow there. I found a I found a restaurant downtown. I stopped there for lunch. I wanted to pick up some food 
for the party. I got some soul food. It was some soul food kitchen. I told them about kombucha and um, they sounded interested. And they have a kitchen, a big restaurant, and it's basically empty. So I was thinking, I don't even need a kitchen. I could just rent space in anyone's kitchen to produce kombucha. So that's my new plan. And they could sell my kombucha out of there and I could rent some space from them or give it to them as a discount if they grow it, if, I let, if they let me do it in their kitchen. So that's uh, my new plan. I mean, sure, I'm gonna have my facility at home and I can prepare everything and then I can uh, drive it over and deliver a live kombucha set or kit. Just add water. It's like, here's the barrel. I'll deliver it to you. You add water to it and let it grow. And I can prep everything at my house and deliver the barrels to restaurants. And then I'll harvest them in a week and then they can get some of it and sell it. And then I can sell the, the rest of it to other people and I'll pay them for the space. So I've turned my turn my whole business idea into even a simpler one to go for the restaurants and I could try and get my kombucha live into these different restaurants it should be good for refrigerated for a couple of days we'll see if they can sell it especially iced in the summer it's amazing we had some other business ideas about getting a truck and loading it up bringing it to the city, selling ice cream out of the back of the truck, or selling it to shops, and ideas for apps. Just taking some pictures of some good garbage that I found. I'll have to circle back and get some. These fish tanks are nice. If we put the bubbler in them, we can start plants, cuttings, get the root systems going. Now, this makes me think if we bubble water, what, uh, what are the uh, nutrients that we need and the micronutrients that we need for the plants? And will those, I guess what I need to do is start cultivating mycorrhizal networks using bean sprouts or some kind of sprouts, doing some experiments. The guy was inoculating rice in the woods I found this one forest near my house with tons and tons of wood that's fallen over. Lots of mushrooms there. I would have expected more. I guess it's missing some food. Now what they found, what Paul Stamets was saying is they found that glyphosate Roundup is affecting the bees' digestion and inhibiting a certain protein or a certain chemical or enzyme. And I'm wondering if that also affects humans as well. Well, more arguments for eating organic food and growing more food. So that clip with your podcast will fail was actually a college humor. And it was funny because they were, he was making the one guy cry. And then he went around and he was doing, he wanted to do the exact same idea. He was just trying to talk the other guy out of it actually. But anyway, it was, it was still funny and it had some really valid points. In terms of a post-production, I mean, sure, all of this stream of consciousness stuff is great. Now, I've been listening to, I've been listening to the ultimate random guy, Arrow Collins, and he's saying how 
The best material is the first impression. It's the stream of consciousness. It's the now, the power of now, power of stream thinking. Being in the place of right now is where so much is, and you've got to learn how to trust it without editing it. Being right here to feel what's moving through you right now so that your creative level can have an experience before everybody else begins to judge it. Hey, it's Arrow. This is Stream Thinking, The Power of Now. Learning to trust freeform writing. Your best decisions are right now, and it's time that you learn how to own your own leadership. But in terms of post, in terms of finding something and going back and listening to it, or int being interested in listening to something for a certain topic, it's not the best. My sister gave me a rotisserie two years ago, or a year ago, and I never used it, but we got it running yesterday, and I bought a whole lamb leg, and we slapped it on the rotisserie, and it turned out amazing. It was really good. Needs some more work, we need to work on that some more. You know, getting the right temperature, getting the right, everything perfect. But the meat was amazing, the food was amazing. And uh, we just improvised with some pins and some metal rods and rotated it by hand, and it was fine. So I have been really hung up on this feeding a Turing machine to a Turing machine, compiling a compiler, basically. And if you compile a compiler, the input can be any program. So obviously you don't know if it's gonna terminate. Now, here is my model, my idea, that I wanna share with you. So basically we have an adversarial system that's generating compilers or weird machines, and another system that's trying to detect it. So the goal of the, um, it's a cat and mouse game. We could say it's an adversarial machine learning, where the one system is trying to generate a number that if interpreted, creates a Turing machine that it can control. And the other system is trying to detect that. So this is really getting into the crux of the system. Now, these also could be randomly generated. We could just be enumerating all such systems. But in the end, I think it comes down to mind control and a fight for supremacy of who's going to be in control of the resources. So that's the model that I've gotten now, where originally I said we have a Turing machine and the input is a Turing machine, whose input is a Turing machine, the source code of the Turing machine. So you keep on feeding infinitely many numbers of machines. Now, if you're always feeding the same machine, then you could recognize that input and you could ward off it. You could say, well, if the input is the same number as my number, then we know that it will not terminate. So then the attacker would mutate that input to be different. And I am assuming that there's multiple mutations that could be done to hide. And ideally, the attacker would mutate the Turing machine in such a way that it could give it a different input that would be harder to determine, to, to revoke, to reject. You have a machine that would take an input that's different. Okay, so if I have a Turing machine, it reads an input to run, and the format of the input is dependent on the machine. So if I change the inputs to a different set of inputs, then the machine will also be different. So that's like the first transformation is you would just shift the inputs status and you would just use like say different numbers or different encoding to hide the machine. So the one machine would be written in one language 
but it would be designed to decode a different language, which does the same thing, but it would just be a different program that would be designed to decode a different base. So that's what I've got so far. And I think we're slowly getting to the question of decidability. So will this input terminate? And we'll say, if we can recognize that it's a Turing machine as an input, then we know that the input is undecidable because it's a Turing machine. And that we'll never be able to decide on it because we could feed it any inputs. And those inputs could be infinitely different Turing machines that would accept infinitely different inputs. So we would then be mapping these different encodings and different inputs onto different things. Now, if the stock market represents a decision-making system, then the fungus plant interface represents a decision-making system. And if you have a decision-making system, the ability to send nutrients in any directions and the nutrients are the chemicals are the messages of the plants. Being in the place of right now is where so much is, and you've got to learn how to trust it without editing it. Being right here to feel what's moving through you right now so that your creative level can have an experience before everybody else begins to judge it. Hey, it's Errol. This is Stream Thinking, The Power of Now. Learning to trust freeform writing. Your best decisions are right now, and it's time that you learn how to own your own leadership. Then I would say that the fungal plant networks are turning complete as well. My tooth is still hurting. And then we can get into all of these different topics. But I think the key topic here is that we have an evolutionary complex system, a fight between attackers and defenders, an escalation of technology, where even so the input to a program could be a hidden control system, a hidden indeterminate program that could do anything. And as I said, we would have a fight over time to determine that. So with different life forms interacting, co-evolving, having symbiotic relationships. You know, we've looked at this fungus hypothesis and said, oh, the fungus is doing everything. Then we could look at the plants and say, the plants are doing everything. Then we could look at the animals and say, the animals are doing it. You could say that life is doing it. Life is just evolving. You could also say that it's God. But when I was telling people about my kombucha, no one wanted to try it because I said it was, it was fungal and everyone was getting scared. And then I said, I said, well, if you told me it was fermented tea, I would have tried it. I said, well, beer is fungal as well, and bread, kefir, all these fermented foods. I guess I scared people off. No one wanted to try it. All right, so I have some thoughts that I want to record. So I've been contemplating the diagonalization, diagonalization, diagonalization method, and effectively, you can reference an entire set via diagonalization. The diagonal could be used to create a unique number. Let's start with Cantor. He said if you take all the numbers, the set of all the numbers, and then you read across that set diagonally, it'll create a new number that's not on the list. Because the simple fact that that, that number it references all the other numbers, and it couldn't have been there, before. So you could basically reference an entire set at once. And I was thinking about 
Well, the girdleization gives you, unless you represent any function as a number. So let's say you have a table of all the inputs and all the outputs. So it's a table of all the items. And on the left-hand side, it's all the inputs on the right. So the one axis is inputs and the top axis is outputs. And the function that maps the input onto the output would be a girdle number or, you know, bytecodes of the function. And I've been thinking about, you know, this whole encoding-decoding problem and assigning values and assigning meaning to things. So in the worst case scenario, you would come down to a whole cryptographic system where the input is cryptographically signed in some way and then decoded in some complicated way that would be very difficult to understand. Even if the key is embedded in the source code, it could be obfuscated. And maybe the key would be read in from the input to decode it. The key wouldn't even be present, or you would have to have some of the key presented that's not even present in the source code. Another thing I wanted to mention was on Giuliano Furci's, Furci's video, just so funny, because Furz in German is fart. But Giuliano's was saying how you have to go deep into yourself and have time to do things. And I'm thinking also the same thing. But I need some time to go deep into this. I think also, Tim, in this hyper-connected world, I have learned, and I'm, I'm very grateful to be of a generation that wasn't as hyper-connected in our teens. I have learned that it's important to be more with yourself than with others all day. I mean, I see people today constantly looking at what others are doing and constantly looking and trying to reflect themselves in 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 what others choose to share and how important it is when you believe in something when you have an idea to take the time with yourself to develop it to investigate what you're thinking about we all can make a contribution if we give ourselves the time and space to develop our contribution and not be constantly looking for everybody else's contribution in a way. So this hyperconnectivity, I think, is not helping us to be able to take on these paths of in-depth, you know, study. Results aren't always immediate. You know, it yeah. takes like, a long time and it's okay for it to take a long time. You don't present an idea and then the next day have a result. It takes a long time. It takes hard work. And you can't do that if you're constantly looking at everybody else's life. And study it deeply. So if I have inputs on the left and outputs on the right, and then in the center would be the number of the matrix would be the actual code, the bytecodes encoded as a number. That's just an example of an idea. Now, the diagonal would be the mapping of the nth input onto the nth output. Now, if they're the same set, it's mapping onto itself. And you could reference all of those functions. I guess you could represent the whole table. See, this is where I'm kind of getting into this diagonalization. But basically, well, we'll get there. So let's just say we take the diagonal of all the functions, right? And then we could say all of those are the inputs. So we make an input that contains all of the diagonals, okay? What would the output of that be? Well, it's referencing 
itself then finally because it would have to also include itself as an input if you follow so that's creating a self-referential aspect so diagonalization allows you to create statements about yourself and those but let's just say we have the uh, the mapping and you put all the diagonals all the functions as inputs and it would then reference its own source code and what would the output of that function be that takes in all the code well that could be does it halt does it terminate for example that could be a function and then the output could be true does it terminate yes but because it references itself then we could show that itself doesn't terminate so let's think about that how can it reference itself because itself is part of the diagonal so we haven't really defined what's on that diagonal except it would be a function that takes in like all the takes in all the inputs but then it would have to take itself in as an input so matrix so diagonalization allows you to do some kind of self-referentiality just like Cantor said so this all boils down to decidability formalization of inputs well formed and so forth enumerating we have to just read the roofs don't we I feel like I might be able to tackle them soon. I'm, I'm a little bit fuzzy on all of this, but basically you have something that includes everything and then it can't include itself. And if it includes itself, then it references itself, then it makes statements about itself, and itself will then change based upon, creates a circular reference. And if it's a circular reference, that it cannot be resolved because it depends on the output of itself. And if it depends on the output of itself, and itself produces it's a circular, a circuitous system, a circular reference. So, circular logic, a system that can reference itself and make statements itself. And those can't be terminated because it's an endless loop of proof. And then any system that can be represented as a number can then be set as an input and then it can reference itself as well. And then that self-reference could be obfuscated more and more, require more and more time to figure out that it's a loop and it could turn into infinite time. So statements about if something can be proven or not in finite time. This input was that input output. This can be derived from that using this set of rules. So what we're trying to get at here is from an understanding perspective. What are we talking about? Well, first we have to wrap our heads around what does it mean system of logic that can prove things how can that be encoded and then how can you make statements about it saying that it can't prove can't be proven in the system and you say in this system reference to the coding or the diagonalization the enumeration of all the statements or enumeration of all the machines 
I guess when we get to abstract syntax trees, we can talk about representing systems using a certain encoding. That encoding can change. Talking about bootstrapping systems that have an encoding, putting the keys to that encoding in the system or in the inputs. Feed the fungus, 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 fe